This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. President Joe Biden made it official this week. He is running for re-election. The 2024 presidential race will be determined largely in the same place as it did the last few elections. In some cases, that means the presidential race could have a fairly significant down-ballot effect on competitive House and Senate races. Nathan Gonzalez, publisher of Inside Elections and Roll Call's Elections Analyst, joins the podcast to discuss. Nathan, welcome back to Political Theater. Always a pleasure, Jason. I will make time for you at any any moment. Uh, again, you know, I've been I've been promising our own somewhat uh, pivot to video anytime soon. We're going to begin recording these. I wish we would have done it this week because then we the, the, our audience, our listeners could could see your t-shirt. Uh, they will just simply have to uh, settle for you describing your t-shirt, which is even for someone who owns many many t-shirts from many many minor league baseball. Uh, Mecca's is impressive. It is impressive. I am impressed. Take it uh, away. I, I'm very proud of this one. It's a brand new shirt. It is the Exploding Whales, and it is uh, 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 the Eugene Emeralds, which is the high A minor league team for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, for a few days this year, they're going to rebrand themselves as the Exploding Whales, which is in memory of an event that happened in 1970 off the coast of Oregon when a dead whale came up on the beach and local authorities did not know how to dispose of the whale. So they decided to use dynamite. Uh, I don't want to ruin it. I just recommend that uh, you Google it uh, or you put it. It's on YouTube, the the news package, and it is it is epic in more ways than one. And this is uh, quickly one of my favorite shirts already. I, I said I, I am impressed. Um, and I guess, you know, it, we're just grateful we didn't have a lot of whaling ships around uh, to, to do an alternative sort of dismemberment of that of that dead whale. It, uh, it went out in, in uh, a fashion that is, I mean, if you can be on a t-shirt 53 years later, that means you, uh, you, you died an honorable or you're your remains were disposed of in a, in, a, in a truly memorable fashion. Yeah, we can all wish that we can be uh, a future minor league team uh, mascot in 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I mean, the only death that comes to mind or the only like rem- after death uh, that, that comes to mind is Hunter S. Thompson being shot out of a cannon uh, on his property. His ashes uh, spread out of, a, out of a cannon shaped in the gonzo fist on his property in, in Colorado. But I don't think there are any minor league baseball teams close to his uh, place in Woody Creek. So I don't think that's going to be on a t-shirt anytime soon, or at least <laughs> a minor league baseball t-shirt. Everyone will have to suffer because of it. <laughs> Speaking of suffering, let's talk about the 2024 presidential race. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice pivot. It is early, uh, but as as you point out in uh, your, your latest for Inside Elections and for Roll Call, uh, your analysis of the competitive presidential Races. It's never really too early. Uh, the the battleground shifts a little bit, but not a whole lot. And also, if if anything, if the things uh, that we think are in a hold are hold, then Joe Biden is likely to be the Democratic nominee again. He has only sort of token opposition at this point. Uh, and Donald Trump looks uh, as if he is in a fairly uh, good position. Uh, 
compared to the other Republican uh, candidates, although he certainly uh, has a, a, a race ahead of him for the primary. Uh, so we're might, might be seeing this is a deja vu all over again, uh, as Yogi Berra say, to continue with our baseball uh, uh, metaphors here. If, if it is a Trump-Biden uh, race in in 2024 and and really largely fought out along this in the same states. One of the points that in diving into this that I, I kept coming back to was that one of the big cliches in political handicapping is, well, a year is an eternity in politics or a week is an eternity in politics and everything can change. And when you dive, when I went back to the last couple cycles, in particular presidential races, uh, the presidential battleground didn't change a lot. Now, I, I want to be careful that I'm talking specifically about the states and the size of the battlefield. Within the battlefield, there were shifts. I mean, I went back to, I don't know why I put myself through this, but March of 2015, ahead of the 2016 cycle, which uh, did not end like many projected it would at the presidential level with Trump winning. But when you looked at the states, the states that we thought were competitive were competitive. It's just that Trump won a lot more of them uh, right. than what was than what was expected. And so that's why I don't think it's too early to identify uh, where the battleground uh, states are going, what the battleground states are going to be, uh, because even though the nominee, the nominations have not been decided, I think we're talking about a, a fairly small universe of broadly 15 states, but even more narrow when we're talking about the, t- the toss-up states that will decide who wins the White House. And those toss-up states are going to sound very familiar. Uh, let, let's talk about them. Yeah. Uh, we have four toss-ups in our initial ratings, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, all won by Biden in 2020, all by very narrow margins, three of them by less than a point, one of them by just more than a point. And I expect those to be at the epicenter of this race once again. I mean, our the the circumstances of the elections change, but it is hard to make fundamentally partisan, broad, dramatic partisan shifts over the course of uh, a year plus. So I, I think those are going to be the battlegrounds once again. And I'll also note that Trump won all four of those in 2016 uh, by by relatively, you know, uh, small margins, not not as small in, in some cases as as Biden's. But, you know, I mean, he won Arizona by by a few points, um, but he you know sort of squeaked things out in, in Wisconsin uh, and, and in Pennsylvania. Uh, won Georgia fairly handedly, and then Biden won all all four of those. Uh, again, you know, very very small margins uh, in Arizona and Georgia, and a little more comfortably in, in a tiny bit in Wisconsin, and a little more comfortably in Pennsylvania, where he was born. And when you look at all of our ratings, if if the Republican and Democratic nominees each win in all the states where they are favored to win, now that could be solid, could be tilt lean likely if they win what they are favored to win then the nominee is going to need to win three out of those four or then the eventual uh, president is going to need to win three out of those four toss-up states it's just and that's how evenly divided we are as a country that uh that it's going to come down to these probably going to come down to these states i mean if we get to november of 2024 and biden has a legitimate chance of winning texas you know the the race the race is over. We're just talking about the margin. Or if Trump is, um, you know, challenging seriously challenging in Virginia, you know, the the, the race is over. It's just a matter of how big the victory is going to be. But we're likely to have another close race, right? And I mean, so sort of the baseline that you're you're talking about too is that 
uh, if, if I'm reading this right, I mean, the, those four toss-up states that you mentioned, 56, uh, that, that's a total of 56 votes. Uh, you, you, you note that that the Republicans sort of got a leg up on three more votes than or three more electoral votes in those states than they would have otherwise because of redistricting. And then, you know, I'm just going to go through quickly the, the list of competitive states here. You have as tilt Republican, uh, North Carolina with its 16 electoral votes that went for Trump uh, in, in 2020. Uh, tilt Democratic, Michigan, uh, with 15 electoral votes, and Nevada with six. That, those states both went for, for Biden in 2020. Lean Republican, Florida, and it's 30 uh, electoral votes. And Maine 2nd District, that's the, the northernmost part that uh, has, has t- trended a little more Republican, a little more conservative uh, recently. Lean Democratic, Minnesota, and it's 10 electoral votes. Nebraska's 2nd District, that's its Omaha-based uh, 1st District that Don Bacon uh, represents, and New Hampshire. Uh, with with four uh, electoral votes, likely Republican Iowa uh, with its six electoral votes, Ohio seventeen electoral votes, and Texas forty, and then likely Democratic uh, Maine statewide uh, with two electoral votes and Virginia's thirteen uh, electoral votes. So it's it, again to your point, if if each, the Democratic nominee wins the, the states uh, and, and districts uh, it, that uh, he or she is supposed to, and, and the Republican does the same, it just comes down to those four states, and you've got to win three out of four. <laughs> and, and we had immediate verification of these ratings when Biden, along with his campaign, along with his reelection announcement, uh, released ads in six states. Uh, his first ads are airing in Arizona. Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Those sound familiar because those are all races that are either rated as toss-up or tilting uh, in, in one direction. I, I also just you know remember the the um, you know in 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 two thousand the two thousand election you know it all sort of came down to Florida of course, uh, but you know there was this sort of in the, it shifted it, it is it's a reminder of the shifts that go you know sort of. They lurch along a little bit until they're not, and in two of the biggest states, two of the the the, the most competitive states in that race, uh, Ohio uh, and and Florida are both you know sort of continue have continued a more rightward trend uh, of supporting Republican uh, nominees at the statewide level. So uh, and then, but again, Georgia was not competitive at all uh, and for for Democrats, and now it is. Yeah, and and one of the things again, I, I, I there are probably skeptics say no, it's too early. What can happen? People are there's there could be more indictments. There could be you know Biden could fall. You know, and all there are a lot of things that could happen. But yet, a lot of things happened in the last presidential election. But um, there was only one state that we had rated as solid for either party that was decided by fewer than eight points, right? And, and that was Texas that ended up being about six. So uh, again, there can be shifts within the battleground, but I would be shocked if there are a lot of states that we consider solid now that suddenly become very competitive. And let's talk a little bit about down ballot effects. I mean, we it, we have almost as evenly divided a Congress as you can get. You know, Democrats have a you know one seat uh, majority in in the Senate. Republicans have uh, four you know seats to spare uh, in, in the House. I mean, this, these are extremely tight margins. Um, and, and they're, you know, so, so the, the, the presidential race gets all the oxygen, uh, in, in general election years, but the, you know, the, the dynamics change slightly, uh, as, as they, it, in compared to midterms. 
uh, Republicans did not have as good a midterm cycle uh, as as they were expecting, and as a lot of people were thinking that they would have, and it sort of defied historic trends. Uh, even though they they won the House, they they were not able to to uh, get the majority in, in the Senate. They had lost a seat even, but the some of those same you know like the, the, again some of that some of those battlegrounds will be fought you know in in familiar places, and Democrats in particular in the Senate have uh, a, a real a map disadvantage where you know the, they're the the competitive seats the, the seats that they have to have to hold on to that they're the most competitive are in fairly Republican uh, areas like like Ohio uh, so let's talk a little bit let's talk first about the Senate battlegrounds and the overlap there and then we'll and we'll talk a little bit about the house yeah a challenge for Democrats is that their three most vulnerable Democratic senators uh, being Sherrod Brown in Ohio. Uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, and um, what's the third? <laughs> uh, now I'm forgetting the third, uh, the third senator. Oh, John Tester in Montana. Yeah. I do do this for a living, Jason. Um, <laughs> you just have an exploding uh, whale on the brain, is all. Yeah, yeah, are not competitive at the presidential level, and Trump or the Republican nominee is going to win those states handily. And there are, there are only, those three senators are three of only five U.S. senators out of a hundred who represent a state that voted for the other party's presidential nominee in 2020. So we have seen extreme alignment uh, between what happens at the presidential level and the Senate level. So that's challenging for those senators um, to overperform. And I know Manchin is not announced whether he's going to seek re-election or not. Um, but then but then there's also going to be overlap in uh, with some presidential uh, states such as Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, uh, where you have big U.S. Senate races that are going to matter for, uh, for control of the Senate, as well as a pres- competitive at the presidential level. So that means ad rates are going to be a lot higher. Um, Democratic incumbents uh, in uh, could... Uh, exercise another advantage because they've been better at raising um, candidate dollars that go further than outside group money. Cinema is an interesting, you know, cinema has not announced what she's doing and she's, you know, now an independent, obviously. Uh, but the, um, but there is a mix of sort of orphan races, the ones that don't have presidential and a mix of overlap with the presidential uh, battleground. And also worth noting is that the last time that Sherrod Brown, John Tester, and Joe Manchin won re-election in 2018. Uh, they were in a midterm uh, cycle. Uh, the the midterm was not particularly favorable uh, towards Republicans because of uh, sort of a backlash to particularly a lot of, of Trump's uh, policies in his first ter- uh, years and is as president. The Republicans lost the majority in the um, in in the House. Uh, they they. You know, they lost. I think it was forty seats uh, were, were were flipped. Uh, they they gained seats in the Senate because of because of the map. But Manchin and Brown and Tester were all able to to win re-election. Uh, Brown was blessed with um, not a particularly great uh, candidate as an opponent. Uh, Manchin- we, don't to, we don't need to mention Jim Renacy by name. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but you know. Tester and Manchin, you know, squeaked it out uh, a little bit. They, and again, neither one of them had the the most. Uh, they, they, their opponents could have been better, uh, is another way of saying it. Uh, and and in Manchin's case, he he kind of barely won against a fairly flawed candidate. Uh, so it's that now 
particularly if if you know somebody like Trump is the nominee and they're able to excite the base, uh, it, it it would seem to uh, not augur well for for their chances. In this two. Th- Two things can be true at the same time. Um, this was this is a fortunate Democratic class of senators um, because it's not just so. The two things that can be true at the same time is that these are proven statewide vote getters on the Democratic side, and, and often in unfavorable partisan terrain. But you mentioned the 2018 cycle. Let's keep going back six more years. 2012, President Obama's reelection, pretty good Democratic year. Let's go back six more years to 2006. President George W. Bush's midterm backlash against Republicans and everything that had anything to do with Bush, a good year for Democrats. So this class, um, it's, it's why it's heavy with Democratic senators, who, but they've been kind of chipped away over the last few cycles as the partisan alignment has taken Heidi place. Heidkamp, uh, Claire McCaskill, you know, like pe- people who uh, did get in in a good dim year running against flawed candidates, in particular, uh, you know, McCaskill was was blessed with <laughs> with the, the likes of Todd Akin. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of it. In, I've in, heard in of it. Um, yeah, it, it is. It it'll be it'll be an interesting dynamic, and especially in West Virginia, you know, it it, it looks as if Jim Justice, the the fairly popular Republican governor, previously a Democrat. Uh, is going to get into that race. I mean, he would still have to win a primary against Alex Mooney, uh, but it, uh, you know, that he's the, he's a good candidate, put it that way. I mean, he yeah, has, and, has, and Manchin, as we wait for what Manchin is going to, uh, to announce what he's going to do, uh, there's no guarantee that Joe Manchin wins reelection. I mean, he's the only Democrat who could win this U.S. Senate race, but even, even Manchin is not guaranteed to win. So that is, uh, just something to, to keep in mind because West Virginia has shifted remarkably since the last time he was on the ballot. Right. So let's let's talk about the House a little bit more. Um, you know, the the House is as uh, as we mentioned a little bit. The you know it flipped uh, last year. Uh, the Republicans did not have the kind of night that they were expecting. That a lot of people were expecting. They thought that, they thought that it would do a little bit better. You know, just solely because running against a. A Democratic president whose numbers were underwater uh, at, uh, at that point have continued to be underwater. Uh, usually, you know, we see anywhere from thirty-eight to forty-two is it seems to be about uh, Joe Biden's um, popularity uh, numbers. Uh, under, and you know, so the Republicans did get the majority; they squeaked in uh, largely. You could argue because they did very well in New York, and they did very well in California. Neither one of those states is expected to be competitive at the presidential level, uh, but you could have 10, 15 competitive House races just in those two states. That's more than enough to flip a majority or to, or to solidify one, uh, a shaky one. Yeah, Democrats are come at it uh, with the belief that it couldn't get worse from the top of the ballot uh, in 2024 compared to what it was in 2022. Uh, they feel like in in New York that uh, Governor Hochul's performance uh, was uh, underwhelming and Governor Newsom, even in California, his underperformance really hurt the rest of the, really hurt the rest of the ticket. They're expecting better and higher turnout in a presidential year, particularly among um, uh, minority voters, uh, younger voters uh, who, you know, should help the Democratic candidates, not always in an all in in all places, but just overall should be a better environment. And and every race matters. I mean, Republican Democrats 
only need a net gain of five seats. That looks smaller on paper than what it really is, but depending on that top of the ticket, it is um, it's possible. I mean, Democrats are 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 within reach. And you know, just to break it down even a little bit further, too. I mean, those those seats that are competitive in California are predominantly in the Los Angeles, Orange County area, uh, which is a fairly heavily Democratic area or suburban where Donald Trump has not done particularly well. And Republicans have have begun to struggle, particularly with particularly as abortion continues to be an issue. I mean, this is an issue that 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 suburb, particularly suburban women, feel very strongly about. Um, and then in New York, it's uh, it's not New York City. That's a very heavily Democratic uh, uh, place, and will continue to be for for you know some time, I guess. But like Long Island uh, and the New York City suburbs that extend into Long Island and up the Hudson River Valley, uh, where this is where. The Republicans did very well, and those are again uh, wealthy Democratic enclaves, or so we thought. <laughs> yeah. in, in, in some of the circumstances around some of the individual races have changed. For example, in Orange County, in California's uh, what is the new forty seventh district, Con- Democratic Congresswoman Katie Porter is is running for the U.S. Senate and not running for reelection, and she had a tremendous fundraising and spending advantage over the Republican uh, nominee, Scott Baugh. So this time around, Baugh, Scott Baugh essentially has the Republican nomination wrapped up. It's not, it is a top two primary system. Don't email me. I I am aware of that, but he's basically has consolidated Republican support early. There's a little more uncertainty on the Democratic side, but the bottom line is Democrats, there's that top of the ticket difference, and they won't have Porter to be able to uh, considerably, uh, or outspend Baugh as much as what they were last time. And I, I'd be remiss, Jason, if we, t- if we talked about the presidential race without talking about how Democrats are relying on voters who disapprove of Biden, ultimately voting for Biden and, uh, in supporting democratic candidates. This is what happened in 2022. Biden was not popular, right? His disapproval rating was higher than his approval rating, and yet Democrats overperformed. And that was part of that was voters who were not satisfied with the direction of the country, not satisfied with the current president, but they were dissatisfied or unwilling to vote for the alternative. They weren't comfortable with the Republican candidates that were presented. And that's what Democrats are banking on again. Maybe everyone's not happy but they're not comfortable either voting for Trump again or voting for individual Republicans. And of course, one of the bigger wild cards we have out there is something that we're grappling with right now, and that's the debt limit. Uh, who, who knows how, what sort of effect this will have? Uh, perhaps it will will go away. I mean, people uh, were a little bit late uh, cluing into it this time to realize how uh, precarious uh, the situation is. Uh, perhaps it will get resolved, you know. But if it doesn't, that could have some far-reaching economic effects and, and kind of unpredictable. <laughs> Who gets the blame uh, at, at at this point? Uh, and then, depending on what happens with abortion, um, you know, we we have a a case making its way back to the Supreme Court on mifepristone, the the abortion medication uh, that will continue to uh, focus people on on an issue that typically does not go Republicans way in in places that they need to win majorities. Yeah. And that's the key. It's not just the Dobbs decision, right? To me, the Dobbs decision, while historic and having an impact, though it was both historic and had an impact, but it was the subsequent 
moves by some uh, individual states and Republican legislatures in states or other actions that keep it in the news, right? It's not a static issue. It just, there are things that keep coming up that keep it in the news and keep the Democratic base excited and potentially keep turning off independent voters. Now, one of the key takeaways from 2022 was that independent voters went narrowly for Democratic candidates for Congress. And that was a surprise to me and I think many others because those independent voters were primed for change. These weren't pro-Biden Love the, con- love the direction of the country, think the economy is strong voters. They were looking for change. Republicans didn't uh, prove themselves to be viable alternatives. Sounds like there's a long way to go before the 2024 election. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't tell me that the battleground is going to change dramatically. So. I, I won't. Uh, Nathan, thanks so much for going through this. We will obviously have you back at uh, certain points because I think it's good uh, good check-ins and uh, also you know uh, I, th- I think it just helps helps put a voice to it uh, th- to, to the numbers well I'll need to find some more minor league uh, baseball t-shirts uh, that no one will be able to see until you pivot to videos <laughs> they're, they're, dare to dream uh, we, we are we are working on it and when that day comes especially when you're on with your minor league baseball, I may have to dip into my collection of overstocked minor league baseball t-shirts. That's what everyone wants to see. Two dudes in t-shirts talking about <laughs> politics. Maybe we, wear, we, we, uh, we can wear hats on backwards too. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Nathan. And uh, thank you out there for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, please rate us on iTunes, say nice things, rate nice things, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, read Nathan's uh, stuff, both uh, in, in Roll Call and, and uh, in his newsletter and, and website, Inside Elections. And we'll see you next time. 